All right, Matthew chapter 15. Let's go ahead and read this passage together. We're going to look at verse 21 through 28. Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28. This is your first time here today. We just want to welcome you. Glad you could join us. All right. I don't know if this is your first time having church service inside of a bar, but um, welcome. We hope that you are here for more than just a novelty experience of having church in a bar, but that uh, as you search for a church that you can call home, we hope that you uh, really see the value of coming out to our church and joining our church community because God is building his church. Not just in geographic locations or inside physical buildings, but he's building his church with living stones. Amen? Amen. It's the people of this church that make our church wonderful. So, hallelujah. All right. Let's look at Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 through 28. All right. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Whoa. Some family drama there. Verse 23, but he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith, be it done for you as you desire And her daughter was healed instantly. (coughs) Alright, so in this passage, we have a Canaanite woman whose daughter was severely oppressed by a demon. Now the term Canaanite is mentioned many times in the Old Testament, but this is the only instance you will find it in the New Testament. Because in the New Testament time, there was no country called Canaan. So this term Canaanite was probably a Jewish term used to refer to the people that lived in that area. It's probably even a racist term because Canaanite had a negative connotation to it. The Gospel of Mark describes this woman as a Gentile. Gentile simply means a non-Jew, a pagan, a heathen as the Jews will, will see them. And this Gentile woman comes to Jesus and she is desperate. She can call on all her pagan gods, but she chooses instead to come to Jesus. She hears about Jesus' ministry. And so she begins to call on him and try to get his attention. So she says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Son of David was a messianic term. So it indicated that she had already heard about Jesus' claims to being the, being the Messiah. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And how does sweet, gentle, loving Jesus respond to her? Verse 23 says, But he did not answer her 
a word. In other words, Jesus straight up ignored her. Have you ever been ignored? Have you ever had that experience of being ignored? <coughs> How does that make you feel? It may make you feel sad, make you feel hurt. <coughs> well, most of the time, all of us, when we get ignored, a lot of times we feel offended. Our dignity, our pride rises up. How dare you ignore me? Don't you know I'm important? Hey! You know, and that's what, that, that's what we're thinking in our heads as we're getting ignored. You know, and um, I was mentioning this at Hillside. My, my wife, Erin, sometimes she will straight up ignore me just for her own entertainment. And, and I, I, this, is, this is not the spirit of the Lord, I'll tell you right now. But she does that. But um, <coughs> drives me crazy because it just it's offensive. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been ignored by God? Have you ever felt like you're getting ignored by God? You're in a desperate situation. You cry out to the Lord. And you feel like he's ignoring you. Many of us have experienced this from time to time. And if getting ignored by a friend or family member makes us feel offended, imagine how it feels to get ignored by God. I'm sure it evokes the same and similar emotions. <coughs> Some of us, when we get ignored by God, we may begin to question God's righteousness, begin to doubt our identity in Christ, begin to accuse God, God, don't you care? And just feel like God doesn't care about us. And where we may be tempted to think this way and feel offended, I want to exhort each and every one of you. Don't do that. <laughs> when you feel like God is ignoring you, continue to call on the Lord and wait upon Him. For the Word of God promises in Psalm 37, 7, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. Sometimes when you're in between that time, between waiting on him and God turning towards you, it can feel like an eternity, but don't give up. Keep calling on him. Keep waiting on him and he will turn to you and hear your cry. Or the most wonderful promise of all. Isaiah 30, verse 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for Him. Hallelujah. What a wonderful promise contained in the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, even when you feel ignored and you're tempted to get offended because it feels like God is ignoring you, I want to encourage you, continue calling on the Lord. He will surely hear your cry. Because the truth of the matter is, no matter how much you've been waiting, the truth is, He longs to be gracious to you. 
He rises to show you compassion. And whatever justice causes that you're bringing before him, be sure of this, God is a God of justice. It may delay, but it will not be denied. Blessed are all who wait upon him. Amen? Now, this woman, this Gentile woman, Jesus straight up ignores her. And what does she do? All right, look, let's look at the passage. Matthew 15, verse 23. His disciples came and begged Jesus, saying, Hey, send her away, for she's crying out after us. And Jesus answered, I was, only, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, we got to understand here that Jesus is not saying that his death and resurrection were only for the Jews. We know later in the book of Acts, God inspires the apostles to take the good news to non-Jews, to the Gentiles. right? And so we know that the death and resurrection of Christ, the atoning work of the cross, is both for Jews and for Gentiles. But what Jesus is saying by saying, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What he is saying is that his public ministry on earth, the all of three years he had on earth, his years of healing, casting out demons, teaching, preaching, these, this public ministry, he was saying, is exclusively targeted to Jews. I don't know if you've ever realized that, but with very few exceptions, Jesus only ministered to Jews. It wasn't that Jesus was being racist, it's just that it wasn't time yet. And in God's timetable, all right, his election, his calling was coming to the Jews first. All right, and if you if you have a problem with Jesus doing this during his three years of public ministry, you probably, if you really think about it, you should, you should also have a problem with all the many many years before, up until Abraham's time, where God just chose one people on the earth to deal with. All right, he had already been doing it. It's just three more short years in which Jesus, which God, targets his public ministry only for Jews. So Jesus makes this declaration: says, "I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel." And while they are in the middle of this conversation, (coughs) this woman, verse 25, it says, She came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. You know, if you're having a conversation with, you know, your friends, and somebody all of a sudden comes and kneels before you, all right, you're you're obviously going to stop whatever you were talking about and give your attention toward her. All right, she is trying to get Jesus' attention. She says, she kneels before him and says, Lord, help me. And then Jesus answers her. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Wow. All right. I don't know if you caught that, but what Jesus just said was not politically correct. All right, He just called this woman and the people that she represents, he just called them dogs. <coughs> Some critics of Jesus, they point out this passage to accuse Jesus of racism. Look, 
it's clear Jesus was a racist. All right, you shouldn't be a, you shouldn't believe in Christ. He was a racist. Why would you ever want to believe in a in a man that was racist? All right, his critics accuse him of racism, and others they try to defend Jesus by trying to say that Jesus was using the term dog affectionately. The ESV Study Bible has some dumb commentary on this verse. All right, I'm not discouraging y'all from getting it. I'm just saying, eat the meat and throw out the bones. All right, some dumb commentary, and I'll read it for you. <laughs> Jews frequently insulted Gentiles by calling them dogs, which in ancient Palestine were wild, homeless scavengers. But the form that Jesus uses here, the Greek, kynarion, means little dog. And it suggests a more affectionate term for domestic pets. Jesus is not insulting the woman, but testing her faith. Okay. When you call someone of another race a wild dog or a domestic one, it is offensive. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Doesn't matter any culture, in any point in history, Getting called a dog across racial lines is offensive to the highest degree. People still use it today to insult each other or to talk about each other's races behind their back. Now what I'm trying to get at is I don't think Jesus was calling this woman and her people, the uh, domestic dogs, to be cute and, and affectionate with her and to test just her faith. Okay. If you think about the context, this woman is asking Jesus to set her daughter free from demonic possession. I mean, think about if you were in her shoes. How she got to this point where she has to cry out to Jesus. You know, <coughs> I mentioned this at Hillside. Aaron and I were watching TV this past week and we saw a jacked up Korean TV show called The Exorcist. Okay. Please do not watch it. It has nothing to do with God. Alright? Uh, and, 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 but Koreans love it. Koreans love it. And it's on, on TV all the time. And so they document Korean families where one of their family members is demonically possessed or demonically oppressed. So they, they tape it. They videotape it. And then toward the end of the show, they have this mudang uh, this uh, shamanist priest come. They're, this is the hero of the story. And then they do all these crazy, they have these bells and they go and tries to like, tries to heal the person and get the demon out and then they, they like talk to the demon and they're like, look at me, look at me, demon, demon, get out. Why are you here? And they're like interviewing the demon. And then the funny thing is on the particular show we watched, at the end of the show, the, the, the wife was demonized, the husband was not. At the end of the show, both of them were demonized. Because the shamanist priest did all these uh, ceremonial things. And this guy's like, he starts going crazy as well and starts getting possessed by a demon. It's a terrible show. But one insight that I gained from watching this show was, it was a, it was a stark reminder, because I, I know this from personal experience. It's a stark reminder of how terrible it is to live with a family member that's severely demon-oppressed. So in the show, the husband, they just tape the husband and the wife, and they're interacting. And she's like, Ah, 자기야 사랑해. 
사랑해, I love you, I love you. And then bam, just punches him in the, in the face. And then starts scratching and trying to tear off his clothes. And then he like gets her in a headlock and then like rusters her down to the ground. 30 minutes later, she's like, oh, oh, I pop, pa, oh, that hurts. Oh, I love you, honey. And then bam, punches him again in the face. And they start fighting again, wrestling around. And she's just crazy. She's speaking to other voices and she's got supernatural power. She starts attacking the camera guy. So they have two cameras so that when the other camera guy gets attacked, they're like, they're like, whoa, yo, whoa, whoa, whoa. Crazy show. <coughs> but it gives us a glimpse of how terrible it is to have a family member that's even impressed. And I know this personally because I experienced this. It's terrible. Puts you in a very desperate situation. Where you look for anything and everything, you pay anything to just get that family member better. And this woman is in this desperate situation. She comes to ask Jesus for help. And in response to her request, Jesus says something that will clearly offend her. <coughs> Maybe Jesus was really tired. But why is Jesus not being more sensitive here? This lady is suffering. Why would you add insult to her injury? Just tell her, hey, I'm sorry, but my ministry is targeted toward Jews. I can't help you out. You know, but in a few more years after I die and resurrect, you can come back. You know, we'll help you. Go to my apostles. There's 12, well, 11 of them. One of them betray her. There's a... <coughs> Why does Jesus have to get so offensive and call her a dog? Why? Now, I believe that Jesus called this woman and her people dogs purposefully. But why? Why did God offend this woman who was in desperate need? Why? I'll tell you why. Because this is our God. Because this is what God does. God offends the mind. God is a God who offends the mind. <coughs> Why does God do it? Why does God offend our minds? Why does he do that? What's the purpose in it? Is God offending the mind simply to get a response? Does God offend the mind simply because he's just being offensive? Why does God offend the mind? I believe there are several reasons why. And because I preached the whole message at Hillside and it went an hour and 15 minutes, I will cover just one reason why God offends the mind. And you can thank me later. <coughs> Number one, God offends the mind to reveal the heart. In the case of this Gentile woman, when Jesus offended her and called her a dog, her response wasn't, I can't believe you just called me a dog. All you Jews are the same. How dare you? And then just walk away. 
That's not what she did. Right, if she did that, that would have revealed that the woman was just trying out Jesus. It would have revealed that she wasn't fully convinced that Jesus was her only hope. But how does the woman respond? Verse 27. She says, yes, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. What an incredible and witty response. Now, this woman's got to be the wittiest woman in the Bible. She just got completely insulted. Jesus purposely offends her. And she responds with what? With faith. With desperate, clinging to Jesus. You are all I've got. I got nowhere else to go. Faith. You know, if Jesus simply said to this woman when she comes up to her and says, um, all right, I'm not supposed to, but you know what? You know, here, I'll hear your daughter. All right. Here, here, daughter's healed. Go, go on your way. All right. Uh, if that is what happened, then Jesus, his disciples, you, me, and this Canaanite woman would have never gotten to see the incredible faith the desperate hope and the unrelenting love she had for her daughter. We would have never heard about it. We would have never seen it. Because you know what? It was all there inside of her. But it took Jesus offending her mind. And it revealed what was truly in her heart. She had this love for her daughter. And she was not going to accept anything less than her full healing. She had a desperate hope in Christ. And she would, after she got offended, she, would, she didn't start entertaining other options. Jesus was the only option. And it revealed the true state of her heart. In the gospel, there's another young man <coughs> who encounters Jesus. Young man comes and says, Jesus... I want to follow you. Tell me what I got to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus looks at him. And he says. Now look like you have a lot of money. Young man. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. And you'll have eternal riches. Now this is not what Jesus said to Peter. When, when Jesus invited Peter to follow him. It's not what he said to Andrew. He didn't say any of these things to any of the other disciples. But he says it to this young man. And the Bible says, the young man turned around and he walked away with great sadness because he was a man of great wealth. It was the total opposite response to what the Canaanite woman made. This rich young ruler says he wants to follow Jesus, says he'll do whatever Jesus will say. And then Jesus offends his mind by saying, hey, you want your riches? Sell everything you got. 
everything that you know, everything you've experienced, everything you identify with, everything you know with your family, all the riches you have, it means nothing. Go sell it. Come follow me. I mean, that is an insult. That's an insult. <coughs> In another instance, another man said, Jesus, I want to follow you. But let me first go bury my dad. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own. Jesus, why? Why do you have to be so offensive? I told you I want to follow you, man. I don't like you anymore. Jesus offends the mind to reveal the heart. You know, when <coughs> in Matthew chapter 9, there was a, a bunch of people. They brought their friend who was a paralytic on a mat, carried that man on the mat, brought him to Jesus. Jesus saw their faith. And then he said to the young man, take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. And then the Bible says that at this, the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. This fellow is blaspheming. Now think about what happened here. Jesus, he didn't say this by accident. He knew that saying your sins are forgiven will be highly offensive to everyone listening. It wouldn't just be offensive to the teachers of the law. It will be offensive to all of the Jews. Because saying your sins are forgiving is a claim toward deity. That you have that type of authority and divine right to be able to forgive sin so <clears throat> all jesus had to say was get up take your mat and walk but instead jesus says your sins are forgiven he offends everybody he knows it's going to offend everybody he does it anyway he does it on purpose but what was jesus doing jesus was once again he was offending the mind to reveal the heart. And in that place, there were many who did not really know, truly know God. They were not true sons of Abraham. They, they, they really did not truly know God. And when Jesus said that, it offended them so much, it revealed the true nature of their heart. And they started to accuse and oppose and accuse Jesus of blasphemy. And they're the very ones that, that went on to crucify Jesus. You see, there are a lot of people who were following Jesus at that time. Thousands. I mean, thousands of people would just follow Jesus. I mean, I'm just imagining, how does that work? Don't, they, don't these people have jobs? Was the unemployment rate in, in, among the Jews like really high? Like, why, what are they doing? And why are you bringing your wife and your kids with you? Go home. <coughs> thousands of people just following Jesus. And then Jesus... See, Jesus wasn't going for popularity. He didn't concern himself with the polls. All right. All right. Here I got all these thousands of people. And then he'll just say one thing. And everybody goes home. Your sins are forgiven. Man, why? Why can't he just heal them? Why does he got to say all this other stuff? It just offended. And you know what? Not all of them had truly put their trust in Christ. 
They would follow Jesus, but they would be following him just to watch the show, just to criticize or just to wait for him to mess up. So instead of crying, uh, instead of uh, saying, get up and walk, Jesus will often say things like, your sins are forgiven. And he would just offend everybody. He would offend their mind. He would expose the true nature of their heart. In another passage in the Gospel of John, Jesus starts to talk about his body and his blood. And he says, if you don't eat, my body, my flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. So if y'all are thirsty, y'all want to drink, you can drink my blood. And they're like, Jesus, are you a vampire? What's wrong with you? Eat my flesh. If you don't eat my flesh, you will have nothing to do with me. And, and the disciples are thinking, you know, Jesus, let's tone down the rhetoric here, all right? These people, they want to follow you. Why do you keep driving them away? Why do you keep offending them? And in, and in Jewish culture, drinking blood and eating human flesh was highly forbidden. It was offensive. <laughs> As in most cultures. But, it, but in Jewish culture, it was particularly because Jewish Jews were not even allowed to eat meat with blood still in it. It was forbidden. It was just a preposterous, offensive thing to say. And you know what the Bible says? After Jesus taught on the flesh and blood, that sermon, after that one sermon, everybody left. And then the, the twelve are gathered around and they're like, man, what are we going to do? We got to help Jesus with his PR campaign. He is just messing everything up. And then Jesus is like, are you guys offended at this? What if you saw the Son of Man rise to the place he was before? Are you going to lead me too? And then, the, and then the apostles are like thinking, yeah, we want to lead. <laughs> Just told us to eat your flesh. I ain't doing none of that. <laughs> and then Peter responds by saying, to whom shall we go? You have the words of everlasting life. We believe you are the one sent from God. But Peter's thinking in the back of his mind. But I will change your PR campaign. I will. Because you know what? Peter had it all in his mind. Because later on, a few chapters later, Jesus is like, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to get crucified. I'm going to die on the third day. I'm going to rise again. And then Peter's like, no, Lord. Never be it. That will be terrible for your PR campaign. <laughs> and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Peter says this confession, and I think it's the Holy Spirit inspiring him. But it wasn't really like something that he truly was convicted of, because later on he doesn't act on it. It hadn't really sunk into his heart yet. But they had enough faith that they stuck with Jesus. But all these other people, they went away. Because you gotta think, you gotta think to yourself, Jesus is doing miracles everywhere up until the day of the Passover, when, uh, that weekend when he was crucified, he's doing miracles everywhere. So there's all these people, they, they've heard about him, they've seen his miracles, because his crowds were not hundreds, they were thousands. And people will be lined up by thousands, he'll heal them, miracles, signs, wonders. <coughs> Everybody knew about Jesus. And you gotta, you gotta imagine, if they were truly followers of Jesus, on that weekend, they wouldn't have turned around and started sh shouting, crucify him, crucify him. The same people that are applauding and saying God is doing amazing things among us. They wouldn't have turned around and say crucify him, crucify him. 
But you see, Jesus knew what was in the heart of a man. Jesus knows what's in your heart. And you may get up during a song and say, Lord, I surrender all. I surrender all. Let's get a more modern song. Um, and I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. Lord, I'll go to the nations for you, Lord. And that's what you say. But, but God looks down and he knows exactly what's in your heart. He knows if you're really there or not. And you know what? Sometimes you need to see what's in your heart. And so God will sometimes offend you. He'll offend your mind to reveal what is truly in your heart. To assess where you're really at. But a lot of times we are so caught up. We're so westernized. We all have a college degree. Right? I think everybody in here has a college degree. And if you don't, God bless you. You got your um, GED. God bless you. It's all right. You know, like, you know, even if you don't have a high school diploma. But I think most of you in here do. (coughs) And we all, (coughs) excuse me, we all have this westernized, mind-worshipping culture. Especially in postmodernism. You can't believe in absolute truth. No one knows what the truth is. So everybody gets to make it up for themselves. You believe what you feel in your heart. You interpret that art the way you want. All right? And there's some art that is appropriate that way. And it's very beautiful that way. I'm not, I'm not dogging on that. All right? But when you do that with God, you're, you're, you're condemning your own soul. I'm going to pick and choose what I like from the Bible. I'm going to pick and choose what I like from five different religions. It's going to be like a buffet. I'm going to take what I like over here. I'm going to take what I like at the Hindu bar. I'm going to take what I like at the Muslim bar, at the Buddhist bar. I'm going to have my own religion. It's going to be called Mark Uism. <laughs> Mandyism. God forbid. Right? And, and God, God tries to reveal to us, to ourselves, where we're really at. This is just the ways of God. It's just the way God works. You know, God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't really care whether you have a bachelor's degree or a master's degree or a PhD. And by the way, I don't care if you have a PhD or master's degree or a bachelor's degree. The way I am. God is no respecter of persons. God is a God who sees the heart. And sometimes there's all kinds of things in your heart or things that should be in your heart but they're not there yet. He'll offend your mind to reveal your heart. Now, let me just give you some examples. When God offends your mind, he's exposing the answer to a very important question. That question is, what's most important to you? Am I truly number one? Is God truly what is most important to you or is something else more important to you? Is your dignity more important to you? Is what other people think more important to you? What is most important to you? Are you seeking me with all your heart? That's the answer God tries to 
tries to expose the moment he offends your mind. And the way he does this is, God will send true moves of the Holy Spirit. He'll bring revivals onto this earth. But oftentimes these revivals are not packaged with the best PR campaign. PR means public relations, by the way. God doesn't send the revivals onto earth with this nice marketing strategy. In fact, he, he does have a marketing strategy. And it's an offensive marketing strategy. But inside this offensive package, inside is a true anointing and move of God. But you see, it, it takes the heart of the Canaanite woman to get through the layers and find the true moves of God. So let me describe to you. <coughs> Back in 1995, there's a church in Toronto called to Toronto Vineyard Fellowship. That experienced an incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It resulted in them having church services every single day. And to this day, they still have church services every single day, except uh, Monday or something, yeah. But they've been doing it every single day since. This is incredible revival. People all over the world, whether you were denominational, Baptist, Methodist, doesn't matter. Everybody heard about it. Everybody had an opinion about it. And a lot of people visited. One of them was my youth group pastor. He visited. He saw it. He's from Toronto. He saw it and then he drove down to Philadelphia and started mentoring our youth group. And he came and he said, I went to Toronto. And it's not of God. My conclusion is not of God. It's just a bunch of people that are really excited and they, they, they don't seem to really have it all together and they're just making a lot of noise. It's not of God. That's what he said. And you know what? That's what I accepted. That's what I agreed with because I didn't know better. And in the early days of this movement, it offended everybody. It was such a big movement. The bigger it gets, the the more publicity gets, the more publicity gets, the more people take shots at you. So you have authors writing books. And I'm not going to name any authors, but I'll, I'll name their titles. Charismatic, Charismatic Chaos. Uh, you have <coughs> all these books accusing the move of God in Toronto of being demonic. All right. And by the way, Jesus was also aligned up with the devil when he did signs and wonders. When he casted out demons, they used to get accused. You're casting out demons by the prince of demons. And Jesus said, your logic is stupid. <laughs> How can a house divided against itself stand? You idiot. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Anyway, Jesus got accused of the same thing. But anyway, Toronto gets misaligned, all this, all this. And on top of that... Because what was happening was at these meetings, people were getting slain in the spirit, slammed in the spirit, falling under the power of God, whatever you want to call it. People just couldn't remain standing. All right. And they'd be on the ground. They'd have a carpet area. And they'd just let people on the carpet soak. It was called soaking time. And just lay on the carpet. After you get knocked out, you lay on the carpet and then God's spirit will come on you and, and you get healed of things. You get healed of physical disease. You get you get delivered from demons, whatever. Like God was doing an incredible work. And these physical signs of people shaking and falling down, it offended a lot of people. 
has already been happening for many, many years, by the way. It happened even in Jonathan Edwards' time. It happened when John Wesley was preaching. But, of course, people don't like to pay attention to that. People don't like to highlight that. They only like to highlight the fact that Jonathan Edwards was the best scholar America has ever produced. They only like to highlight the fact that John Wesley was a very well-educated man. That's the only thing they want to highlight, but these things were always going on. Anyway, (coughs) that was offensive in itself, the manifestations. But the people that would come, whether they were Baptists or Methodists, or from a charismatic church, the people that come that were truly, that had the heart of the Canaanite woman, that was truly hungry for God, didn't care how offensive it was. If it was from God, they wanted it. They got it. They got it. They went back to their churches. Revival broke out all over Europe. Revival was breaking out in parts of uh, Florida, parts of California. Incredible things are happening. A lot of the um, fastest growing church, if, if you look to the top 50 list, top 50 largest churches in America, okay, 95% of them are neo-charismatic, meaning they're not particular assemblies of God, they're not Samoan Gyo, they're not Presbyterian, they're not denomination, they are, they are independent. And oftentimes independent is just another way of saying neo-charismatic. All right? They're all thriving. A lot of these churches got touched at Toronto. A lot of these pastors got touched at Toronto. Anyway, Here's the offensive part. I didn't get to the offensive part yet. Here's the offensive part. They were part of the vineyard denomination. (coughs) Well, as people are going after God and they're just going deeper, something really strange starts to happen. People start barking like dogs. People start roaring like lions. People start crowing like roosters. In other words church turned into a zoo. That's what it sounded like. That's what people kept calling it and criticizing it for. And so eventually there was all this other drama with Vineyard and you know what happened? Toronto Airport, Toronto Vineyard Fellowship, they eventually left the Vineyard denomination. It was either kind of like forcefully, they were were forcefully asked to leave. (coughs) And um, this guy, John or not, the pastor of Toronto, he responded he was hurt. It was, those were his friends. John Wimber was a really big, um, uh, big leader in the charismatic movement. He moves in signs and wonders himself. But he was not willing to bear the stigma of the offensive animal noises that were going on in their services. And John are not investigated. And he felt like some of it is from people just making it up. But others were true moves of God. And he concluded, this is the true move of God. I got to stand... I'm going to stand by what's happening at our church. And then, and then John Wimber and Vineyard said, all right, then you're out on your own. I think it's better for us to part ways. And that's what happened. It's an incredible offense. And <coughs> now the amazing thing is, <coughs> today, 2010, that's 95, it's about 15 years later. 2010, 15 years later, 15 years has just been going on. A lot of people who talk about Toronto today, they're very accepting of Toronto. A lot of people will be very accepting. Unless you're cessationist, where you believe the gifts have ceased, uh, the supernatural gifts have ceased. Unless you're cessationist, most people are very embracing of Toronto. But you see, that's because they don't know the history of Toronto. If they started to hear that there were animal noises, and this was some of the reasons why Vineyard kind of distances themselves, and then all the other drama ended up making them break away... A lot of people will probably also start to think, well, maybe I, I'm not so cool with Toronto anymore. 
Because when it comes down to it, they were animal noises going on up in the church. If somebody in the back right now started barking like a dog, what would you do? Now, what would you do? I'll make you very uncomfortable. Okay? But the, the question is, is the person in the back barking like a dog because they want to draw attention to themselves? Or are they barking like a dog because there's a demon that's coming out? Or are they barking like a dog because the Holy Spirit's inspiring them to bark like a dog? Is that not even within your grit to accept that that's what God might do? By the way, Jesus seemed to be okay with dogs. Using dogs, like, yeah, dogs, you know, and just, and don't throw your pearls to dogs, you know, and like, he likes, he likes dogs. <clears throat> but maybe it's not within your grit to even accept the fact that God might even manifest that way through a person. But I'll tell you right now, every person that's pressed in to the Toronto blessing, they have been incredibly blessed. Randy Clark, Che An, Heidi Baker. Heidi Baker got her ministry shift took place at Toronto. Where one day she got prayed for by Randy Clark. She went down hard under the power of God. Randy Clark started to prophesy. Heidi, I feel like God is asking me, do you want Mozambique? And what Randy didn't know was Heidi had done about seven years of missions work in Mozambique before she came to Toronto. And she saw zero fruit. She saw very little fruit. And her heart was broken. She had a PhD. She was pressing in for the charismatic movement and everything. But her heart was broken because she just lacked that anointing power. And Randy Clark prophesied, do you want Mozambique? And Heidi started to cry and say, yes, Lord, I want Mozambique. And Randy said, you're going to get Mozambique. And then she was under the power of God for three days straight. She couldn't get up. She couldn't go to the bathroom. People had to escort her to the bathroom. And then after the bathroom, they would bring her back to the carpet and she would just be on the ground. I think three or four days. And when you are having services every day, it's okay to do that. After she had that experience, she goes back to Mozambique. The next seven years of her ministry, she has tens of thousands of church plants. All right, Mozambique, some people consider it the poorest country in the world. All right. Just thousands of volunteers from America coming. They go into all kinds of villages. You get a whole entire Muslim villages converted to Christianity overnight. Through signs, wonders, miracles, healings. She, she has uh, food to spare for 40 children. And 4,000 children show up. And she takes the food and it multiplies before her eyes. And she, she has these stories of feeding just multitudes of children with just a, uh, just a few loaves. Whatever, whatever they eat there. Brothers and sisters, <coughs> God, this is just what God does. He, he likes to offend the mind to reveal your heart. So the question is, when your heart is revealed, do you like what you see? And when your heart is revealed, are you going to press in for more? Or are you going to just stay at a distance? Or are you just going to say, no, thank you? God, I want you badly, but I don't want you that badly. I want you real bad. But not if it costs me my dignity. Not if it costs me my reputation. Not if other people are going to think of me this way. God, I want you really, really bad. 
But I don't know about that. I got to have all the right answers. I got to be able to explain everything. I need you in my box, God. God, you must be in my box. If you go outside of the box, that's not you. Because God, I know you. I know you're right here. You're in my box. And God's like, I don't have a box. I'm God. My ways are higher than your ways. I do what I want. I remember one of my pastors, he heard a a black pastor once say, uh, talking about the sovereignty of God, he said, where does a 2,000 pound gorilla sit down? And then the answer was, wherever, and then he, he, he used the bad word. I don't know why, I mean, he's making a point. Maybe he just got converted, I don't know. He said, wherever the bleep, wherever the bleep he wants. That's the answer. Why? Because if you're a gorilla, you're that big, you, you don't care. You just you sit where you want. And when you're God and you're that big, you do things. You do things and you have, you, 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 you have the sovereignty. And, and if it goes out of the coloring boundaries of what you're comfortable with, he'll do it. And he'll get a kick out of it while he's doing it. Because he wants to deepen your understanding of who he is. He wants you to experience more of what he's got. You're just experiencing a tip of it and he wants to take you all the way in. But if it takes offending your mind to get you there, he'll do it. That's what I'm trying to preach to you today. <coughs> I a lot of other examples, but I, I, I ain't going to go through all that. I'll go through one. <coughs> There's another real controversial guy in the charismatic movement. His name was Ronnie Howard Brown. He's a South African white guy. Real, used to be big. He lost a lot of weight. Um, and uh, his revival was called the Laughing Revival. And this is one of the reasons why Toronto was also controversial. Because there was a lot of this going on in Toronto. But um, whenever Ronnie Howard Brown has a meeting, he'll just start to preach his message. And he's not telling a joke. He'll just start walking around. And then to his right, two people will start laughing out at the top of their lungs. <laughs> he didn't tell a joke. Nobody's tickling them. But they are laughing their heads off. All right? And then you see everybody's getting very uncomfortable. Like, why are those people laughing? I know them. That's my uncle. He's a very quiet guy. Why is he laughing? And they start walking down the aisle. More people will start to laugh. And this laughter will just start to spread. All over the room. And this was a distinguishing mark of his revival meetings. And a lot of religious Christians will go to these meetings and they will get so offended. They'll be like, how dare they laugh in the house of God? Supposed to be quiet and reverence the presence, the holy presence of God. You know, and, and they will get so offended. They will reject whatever the, uh, Ronnie Howard Brown was carrying. But those who were able to get over it, they would have a blast. They'd be like drunk. They would look like they're drunk. And that, that's also offensive to people. People who've never experienced that in Christianity. All right. They think, how can you act drunk in the house of God? This is not right. All right. Well, Go read Acts chapter 2. And 120 of them got filled with the Spirit when they came out. 
Guess what the people said? These people look like they're drunk. That's what must be going on. I don't know what the heck they're saying, but they is drunk. They look drunk. They're walking drunk. They're laughing like they're drunk. But that's what what happens in Rodney Howard Brown's meetings. People laugh. It, It looks like more like a bar than it does a revival service. And for some people, it's so refreshing. It's so healing. Because some of them, they've been so depressed for like 15 years. And they'll testify later on. They'll be like, I've been depressed 15 years. I haven't laughed for 15 years. And today, when the Holy Spirit came on me, I started laughing nonstop for 30 minutes. I felt like my depression just completely lifted off my body. And Rodney Howard Brown would be like, hallelujah, do you want more? (laughs) Brothers and sisters, if you really want God, you got to remember three words. Get over it. Go get yourself a ladder and get over it. Okay, because the nature of our God, he's he's unpredictable and he does things. And one of the things he does, he offends people. He calls them dogs. He offends people, but he doesn't offend it just to offend you for the sake of offending you. He does it to reveal your heart to see. Do you really want him? And if you're like this Canaanite woman, you really want you will press in. I don't care that you just call me a dog. Check this out, Jesus. Even the dogs eat the crumbs off the table. But that is a response of faith, man. Other people are like, whoa, she got lucky on her, on her answer. No! That is, a, that is a response of deep faith. Our God's a supernatural God. He does supernatural things. And when those supernatural things don't fit into your grid, it doesn't fit into your box. Don't reject it so quickly. That's what I'm saying. Learn to get over it. Press in. And if it's really God, then get you some. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Let's pray right now. I just want to invite, um, I invite the altar team to come up for a moment. We're going to just do a little bit of prayer. So altar team, come up really quick. All right, these are some of our leaders that are trained up uh, to do prayer ministry, to do altar ministry. They're trained up to uh, prophesy. And uh, I just want to invite you today. If any of you in here... You're going through something tough. You feel like God's ignoring you. Or you've been so offended by some of the things that has happened in your life. That you're hardened your heart toward God. Or you have a specific need or something that you're going through right now. That you would like to ask someone to pray for. So you can get some outside help. So you can get some God help. Or if you just want to get deeper with God. And just want some prayer. I just want to invite you. We're just going to do this for maybe about four minutes. It's not going to be too long. 
But if you want some prayer, we'll just open it up. You can just come forward here to stand before one of our counselors, and they love to pray with you. All right, you, Aaron, come up too. Scott, why don't you come up as well? All right, we're going to just open it up for a good four or five minutes. All right, so if you want just some prayer, just get up out of your seat from where you are and just come forward and just stand before one of our counselors and they love to pray with you. They love to bless you. Hallelujah. Thanks, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Don't be afraid even if it's your first time. Just come on up. This is just what our church does. I think this is what a lot of churches should get back to doing. It's praying for each other. Prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. The anointing of the Holy Spirit destroys the yoke.